You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. As you can see from the slide, we are going to be um, doing something a little bit different. Uh, My style of preaching uh, is what is just known as uh, expository preaching. I take a passage of Scripture and we expose what the text says. I, I do my absolute best to not take... Uh, and uh, and say, this is Chris Cop's ideas, and then here's some scriptures that back those ideas up. Um, I do my best to just take what scripture says and actually have my, my outline actually come from the text itself, uh, which is real helpful because uh, Paul really enjoys saying three things in a section, and that makes it really simple for preaching-wise. Um, but today we're going to do things a little bit differently uh, because I want us to look at a, a theme um, throughout scripture. Uh, we are doing... Um, a series that we do every year, uh, I guess we could just call it the uncomfortable series, um, but it, we look at uh, some heavy issues that I think are uh, pertinent for us as Christians to have a good theology around um, that I think are important enough for us to not wait for, as I'm going through preaching through books, for those subjects to come up. So two weeks ago, we took a look at the, the, the idea of sanctity of life. What does it mean for us as Christians to see life as uh, as having worth, that was the, the subject of that sermon was human worth, from, biblically speaking, conception uh, till natural death is the, the nature of human worth. Last week we took a like, uh, look at the, the sanctity of marriage and what, uh, what does that mean and what does that look like and how does that um, project something into uh, the world that only... It can do. Uh, and then this week, we are taking a look at ethnicity and the gospel. Um, and I'm big on words, um, and, and uh, there's, there is a reason why I'm not using race and the gospel. I'm using ethnicity and the gospel, and we're going to take a look at that. Um, speaking of, though, of ethnicity, uh, it's, uh, I uh, kind of function within my family unit as I'm the, the family historian um, in that like, I, I think I'm the only one that really like, gives a rip about some family history stuff. And so I love digging into that. And I mentioned here a couple weeks ago, digging into some, uh, some more genealogy stuff. Uh, Ancestry.com was something that I, I checked out probably about 10 years ago. And since then, I just uh, got back on there and they've added gobs of new documents and you know, literally photographs of uh, you know, church baptismal records and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so it's really fascinating and you know, trying to drill back and connect the dots and find how far back things go. And one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really interested in that is, right, you, you hear of everybody talking about their, their heritage, right, their, their history, uh, kind of, you know, what does it mean to be Slovakian, right, or what does it mean to be German, or what does it mean to be Khoikhan, or what does it mean, all of those kind of things. And so it's kind of one of those, like, hey, I want to find that out, right, like I want to, you know, Ben Blasco gets up and gives uh, his commencement speech uh, for graduation several years back wearing a kilt, right, because he can, that's his, that's his ethnicity. That's what he comes from, right? So I wanted to be able to dive into that. Uh, and as I begin to drill back into those uh, points and you know, going back all of those, I began to find something very strange. Uh, none of my folks moved here recently. Like literally, I can't find anybody that moved to the continental United States pre-revolutionary, I mean, a post-revolutionary war. 
None. Like the whole Ellis Island thing, if I go there, I'm not going to see any relatives on any of the documents that are there. All of them came, I mean, and I'm not saying like jokingly saying, I'm saying all of them, mom's side, dad's side, every, I mean, it, it gets wide as you go out there, and all of them come from England, except I did find one Irish, and I was, I was you know, uh, impressed by the, the one. But all the rest, every, all the rest of them come over from England uh, and uh, come over into Virginia or Connecticut uh, or that area, Massachusetts, uh, and all of them are English. And the reason that I get a little bit frustrated with that is, you know, when, when you say that something is general or bland, how do you, what's the euphemism? How do you describe something saying that it's general or it's bland? It's vanilla. Right? That's what you say. It's vanilla. Vanilla is this right here. This is this is vanilla. This is this is as plain as it gets. Right? And so I'm sitting here going like, what? How do I, you know, how do I champion my historic English roots? Right? Do I walk around in chainmail and ride a horse? I don't. What? What? You know, I can't wear a kilt. Right? Like that's not that's not the thing that's there. I can't. You know, there's none of those. I don't even get to learn a different language. Right? Unless I'm learning like old English or something along those lines. Right? Like, there's nothing. There's nothing that's there. But even when it comes to I say, well, okay, my my heritage comes from England. Even in the midst of that. When you say people from England, you guys have heard of the Anglo-Saxons, right? Everybody said they came from England. No, no, they weren't from England. They were Germanic. They came and invaded England and, and uh, took over the population there and sidestepped the population that's, that's in that. Do you know who they, who they took it from? They took it from the... the uh, uh, yeah, well, th- they took it from the Romans. <laughs> the Romans went there and occupied it for a thousand years. Uh, in the midst of all of that, you got all these Vikings that were coming in there, right? So these people way back in the day that lived there that probably, I maybe, I don't know if I'm related to those folks or if it muddles up there, but everything going back to, I mean, literally it went back to as far back as 1303 was the furthest uh, line that I could find there. All about as... Vanilla. So, if you want to know, I mean, best as I can say, if you want to know what an Anglo-Saxon looks like, this this is this is your prime example. I got excited when I was doing it. I did find one person that had come over from Germany, but then I remembered that I was on Shell's side of the family, and that so that's the kids, right? They got they got a little bit that was there. He he came from Germany with his parents to the U.S., fought in the Revolutionary War, and died in the Revolutionary War. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Why is it that I'm emphasizing ethnicity versus race? Well, it's not that race is a bad term uh, as far as it's, it first starts showing up in English-speaking world use and around 1580 uh, was when race started to be used. And it was specifically to identify a group of people that had, that had a shared origin, a, a, a similar um, uh, genetic lineage, if you will, uh, in that. 
But the problem that I have with it is that in the 1800s, race was taken on by a, a different school of thought and it, it permeates into, one of the reasons we start with sanctity of life in this is that the concept of race, and specifically the concept of racism, is tied directly to the concept of sanctity of life. Because in the 1800s, race became a... Uh, a term that was used along the same, um, in Latin it actually is connected to, I'm tying you guys back to, to uh, science, it was tied not to species, but to genus. Do you guys remember how the breakdown of the, the, the tree in science goes, right? Like, you know, kingdoms, animal fight, all that down. And then you got genus and then species, right? A delineation of those. And race... In, in evolutionary theory was tied not to species but to genus. Does anybody see why that might pose a problem? Why might that pose a problem? Anybody see what that is? If I cannot tie you to my species, then, then you're not human. You're different from me. And if you're different from me, then I can treat you differently. Right? We, we talked about this in Sanctity of Life. Uh, you know, when we talk about mass genocide, we get incited about that. That's an awful and terrible thing. But when we have potluck in a little bit, there's hand sanitizer at the end of that table. You'll squish some of that on your hands, rub your, your, rub your hands, and there will be mass death taking place of all the little bugs that are on your hand. They're all going to die. And we don't get incited about that. Why? Because they're not human. They're not us. And if we can separate us from them, we can devalue it. So I don't, I mean, again, I don't think that race necessarily is a bad term in the, in the sense of description of things. But the problem is, is that it dehumanizes us and separates us. Scientifically speaking, there is one race. There is human beings. And we are one across. And we, of course, uh, being those that are biblically inclined know that we can say that with absolute certainty because we do all stem from one point of mom and dad at the very beginning. But even from a, uh, a materialistic worldview, and they do genome research and all that kind of stuff, the population scientifically goes back to an incredibly small group of people. So even in that sense, we cannot separate ourselves from that. So uh, the, the term ethnicity, I think, is a much more helpful way for us to think about it. And I think it is actually a much more biblical way to think about it because the word ethnicity comes from ethnos, which in your Bible is translated as nations. The nations. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to dive through this thread of the nation, specifically in Matthew's Gospel, in the teachings of Jesus. What is it that Jesus has to say about the ethnos of the world, the ethnicities of the world, and how are we as Christians, as we step into this world that is so in, uh, incensed in a... Uh, uh, to use present-day terms, in racism and racial superiority and racial conflicts and all of the things that are in play, which we all acknowledge are there. It's not like you know we're you know ostriches with our heads stuck in the sand. These things are all there. Uh, how does ethnicity form our understanding? 
Not only of the Gospel, but of the Gospel's impact into the world. Let's start in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 9. And we're not doing deep dives into any of these because we're just kind of pulling out this concept that's there. Matthew chapter 24 verse 9 begins this. It says that Jesus is teaching on end times things. And He says, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations. Read ethnos. Because of My name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the ones who endure to the end, He will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, I read and I go, man, this is, this is like, I, I can feel this, right? Like I can see this. I can see this in the world today. We, you know, some of some of the challenges that we feel in the world today are because we live in such an information savvy world, right? Like hundred years ago, the idea of knowing what was going on in real time on the other side of the planet, totally, you know, I mean, like wars could happen uh, and then end before you even found out that they had started, right? We live in a time frame where it just it feels like things are so tense because we just know what's going on all the time. And yet the reality of this passage of scripture that there is tribulation and specifically uh the one of the reasons I feel like this isn't just metaphorically speaking, or we're imprinting upon this, one of the things that most people don't know when they think of Christian martyrdom or Christian persecution, they think of things like Fox's Book of Martyrs. They think of the first century church. They think of the Roman Colosseum and those things that took place, uh, you know, 1800 to 1700 years ago. But they don't understand that more Christians have been killed in the last 100 years than in the previous 1900 combined. Persecution has been an exponential arc upward within uh, uh, trial and tribulation in the world. And all of that simultaneously to, at a time when the world has actually become safer. Even though we feel like there's wars all the time and Ukraine's fixing to happen and we're fixing to have World War Three, it feels like every other you know every other year we're fixing to have World War Three, right? It always feels like that, but in a re- in a real sense, in actual history, in the way we are actually there's less war happening in the world today than in the last two thousand years. The chances of you dying in your sleep by a, by a marauding army are as low in human history as they have ever been, right? But even in the midst of that, Christians have been dying at a greater rate than any other time in church history. So we can read things like, they will deliver you uh, to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all ethnos. Now we're going to see something that's here is there's this 
tension that exists in Jesus' teaching that is an us and them. But it's not based upon ethnicity, uh, and it's not based upon geographic location. It's based upon relationship to Jesus and His kingdom work. That there is racial tension, ethnic tension that exists, uh, and it is hatred. And ultimately, he says this here, that it's not based upon the, the skin tone. It's actually based upon His name. There's going to be a falling away from that. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. There will be false prophets, false teachers, false ideologies that will come up. Lawlessness, a disconnecting from the truth of what God has said. is ultimate. This isn't just that there's no law in the land. This is Him saying they are disconnecting from God's law, God's heart, God's... Uh, uh, what God has said is true about how we ought to live with each other, there will be a disconnect of that, that it will decrease. And because of that, the love of many, of most people, he says, will grow cold. And I think we can feel that in the world today a lot. But then ultimately at the end, he says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony... To all ethnos. In other words, all ethnic peoples of the world will hear this message. And then, once that happens, then the end will come. This is one of those passages that I point to uh, when, when saying, you know, there, uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was just this, you know, eminent return of Christ, all the movies and everything that was there. Uh, and, I, and I go, you know what, I... I God can get back anytime He wants to, but there's one thing that He said very distinctly that I'm, I'm saying, as I'm looking at it, I don't see, we haven't accomplished it yet. And it was this, that the Gospel will be preached to all ethnicities and then the end will come. There will be trials from every side. Regardless of your ethnicity, there will be trials in this kingdom world that we live in. And sometimes those trials will be along ethnic lines. And sometimes they won't be. Because he says there, even at that end, at, uh, at that time many will fall away and will betray one another. Or brother will be against brother. That sometimes that conflict won't be along ethnic lines. Sometimes it will be within those. But upon this division of those that are following Jesus and those that hate them because of it. This is what Jesus says. Now let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25. Jesus gives a longer parable. Again, uh, a picture of the end. He's in a teaching time period of this in Matthew chapter 25 starting in verse 31. Jesus gives a parable pointing to the end of all things. And He says in verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations, all the ethnos, will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in naked. And you didn't clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they, and then they themselves will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then He will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to Me. These will go into eternal punishments, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus paints this picture of the end time of Him sitting upon His throne and He gathers all ethnos together. It's one of the reasons why I think it's a misnote. When we read nations, we think our picture of nations, right? Russia is a nation. The United States is a nation. Is a nation. Poland is a nation, right? Uh, and we think perimeters and governments and those kind of things. And that's not the picture that's here. It literally is those people that look like each other, sound like each other, dress like each other, act like each other. They are one group of people, regardless of where they are, regardless of how they're scattered about. That's their ethnicity. And he says he draws those in, and all of them collectively stand before Him. But notice what He does. He does not judge them based upon what their ethnic group is. What does He do? He separates them one by one. Oftentimes when we think of ethnicity, we try to lump either ourselves or other people into categories. Right? The blacks, the natives, the whites... Nobody likes being lumped in with other people, right? Nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys that. Of course, we, you know, we do that for convenience sake within our culture. It's on our, uh, it's on our census data form. You have to check off what you are and where you come from and all those kind of things. But God doesn't do that. He actually looks at us. Which is a great thing, because if God looked at me based upon my ethnicity, and specifically my ethnicity as a history, it's a mixed bag. I have family that fought on both sides of the Civil War. I have family members that were married to abolitionists. And I have family members that were slave owners. It's a mixed bag that produces me. And if I'm judged by God based upon the history of my ethnicity, 
I'm in a lot of trouble. And I'm in a lot of trouble because I have no idea which way that can go. But God's Word says that He does not do that. The judgment happens, as He says this here, this kingdom that He builds... He separates them one from the other. And the, the picture there, it's not that sheep were good and, ba- and goats were bad. They were both equally valuable things. It was the distinction of him saying, this is literally what a shepherd would do. They'd make sure that the sheep went to one field and ate the kind of things that they needed to be and that the goats would go to the other side and they would separate them out Not generally, just like split the thing in half and just these go over there and it's arbitrary. It was specific to each individual creature. And Jesus describes the reality of what that looks like within the heart of people that are changed. And notice none of it has anything to do with what nation they are from, with what ethnicity they are. It's based upon showing a transformation that has taken place in their lives. It's one of generosity. It's one of uh, that they so much as didn't even notice themselves because they say, God, when did we, or Jesus, when did we see you sick or naked or in prison or hungry or any of those kind of things and do this stuff? And Jesus says, when you did it even to the least of these, you did it to me. There's this mark of change, of transformation that has taken place in their lives, whereas the other ones... They acknowledge Him as Lord, but it's not true. that transformation is not true of their own life. It's a danger and a challenge that we live in this world where we try to, uh, for the sake of inclusivity, box people into ethnic boxes. And I understand the reason for that because there have been people of certain ethnicities that have been left out of positions of leadership or influence or those kind of things and we want to make sure that we correct that, that 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 doesn't take place anymore. But again, there's this danger as we push into it to try to box people into these places rather than looking at the human heart. Loving people for the individual rather than just a blanket overarching statement about who we think they ought to be because of their ethnicity. Jesus doesn't do that. He loves them individually. Third, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. Jesus takes a look at ethnicity from a perspective that I think is important for us as we as Christians think about what it means to live as Christians and engage a world that looks very different than us. Because I don't know if you know this, regardless of what uh, you look like as you look in the mirror, most of the rest of the world doesn't look like you. And it doesn't matter what you look like. Most of the rest of the world doesn't look like you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Such a familiar passage of Scripture. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all ethnos of all peoples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We often talk about this passage of Scripture that it is a... Uh, the the action, the imperative is go or in your going. Uh, We are to make disciples, learning apprentice. We don't make converts. We don't make proselytes. We don't make church members. We make followers of Jesus. Not ones that look like us, 
but people that look like Jesus as we walk alongside Him and we are conformed to His image, we are called to look more and more like Him. And one of the great challenges of that is is that we're going to be doing that with the people that are around us naturally. But He says, go and make disciples of all peoples. Of all ethnicities. And the reality of that is for us to engage that, for us to be a part of what He said uh, back in Matthew chapter 24, we're going to have to go to the places where those people are if they aren't where we are. When we talk about unreached people groups, ultimately we're talking about unreached ethnicities. Uh, ideolo- I mean, uh, people groups that are of uh, shared... Uh, origin, place where they come from, similar language, similar culture, that's distinct people groups. Um, There are around 6,000 entire people groups in the world that are classified as unreached, meaning they're less than 2% gospel-believing. Millions upon millions of people that will be born, live, die, never hear the name of Jesus. How do we be obedient to the words of Jesus in this? It means that we just can't look at the people that are like us and around us. We have to go to the places where people are not like us. Not for the sake of conforming them to the image of the great America or the great Europe or anything else. Not following the flawed ideologies of, uh, of history as it related to those things. Because we do not want to conform them to some image other than Jesus and ethnic groups matter to Jesus otherwise he would not have said this Jesus was not concerned about them just reaching Jews he wanted them to step outside of their own world outside of their own ethnic spheres outside of their own cultural expectations and love people that didn't look like them that didn't sound like them that didn't act like them with the gospel finding out uniquely how the gospel impacts people's lives and changes who they are now all of this sounds nice and wonderful but the reality is it all you needed to do was read some news this morning and you realize Man, we're far from this. It has been said that one of the most uh, segregated days of the week in the United States is Sunday. Why? Because most churches, in in the Western world specifically, are very vanilla according to what their ethnicity is. I was blown away. It's, it's not just white churches, though there are lots of those. They don't have that on the sign, but that's just what they are. Uh, but it's been one of the things I've loved about being back in Alaska. Is Alaska is just this huge melting pot where there are just so many people from so many backgrounds, and it forces you into those. And um, Some of you guys weren't here for it a number of years ago. I, I can't remember how many years ago it is now. But a number of years ago, we had a Korean vacation Bible school team that came out and and helped us. And it was crazy. They were the most energetic VBS team I have ever seen in my life. They they all had like inflatable suits that they brought out, right? And they wanted me to drive around in cars all over town and inviting kids to come and they were just so energetic and you could just see all of our village kids just kind of going, what 
is this, right? It was just, you know, and they brought all these snacks, right? And they're, they're sna- And if you know anything about Korean snacks, you're not going to find them at no, you know, 7-Eleven here, right? It's uh, Pringles chips, but they're shrimp flavored, <laughs> you know, and these kind of just crazy. And they had all these snacks and it was just energetic and it was fun uh, and it was all the dynamic. But I was talking with the leader of that and he told me that there are 11 Korean churches in Anchorage. Eleven. And I was like, wow, I didn't know there's that big of a Korean denomination. He's like, no, no, no. They're all different denominations. There's like a Korean Presbyterian church, a Korean Methodist church, a Korean Charismatic church, a Korean Baptist church, a Korean American Baptist church, because Baptists can't get along with each other. Like, there's just all of these things that are there. And that's, you know, and they are very homogeneous to what they are. That's where, you, that's where you are. That's, that's what it looks like. And the distinct dynamic of that, of going like, wow, how do I, how do I interact with that? How do, we, how do we love that? How do we engage that differently? How do, we, how do we live according to the truth of what we see Him saying this here, that they're, they're, you know, God does not judge the skin. He judges the heart, right? That's the, that's the truth of this. And yet, one thing that I believe from Scripture is that culture matters. In fact, it's the last thing. I want to take a look at Revelation chapter 7. And I want you to see something pretty profound. I think it's profound anyways. You may be like, eh. But I find it profound. Revelation chapter 7. John has a vision of the end of all things. And this is what he says in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. I want to stop there and just say, if there's anything in pastoral ministry that has been so encouraging to me, it's this statement right here. Because as Christians, there's so much time where we feel like we're not making a dent. We're not seeing change. We're not seeing transformation. We're praying for our family members that don't love Jesus. We're praying for our neighbors that don't love Jesus. We're praying and talking to our coworkers who don't know Jesus. And we feel like, God, how are we making, you know, are, is, is anything happening? And he says, after these things, I saw a great multitude which no one could count. That's a big group, y'all. And then see this. From every nation, every ethnicity. And not only that, but from all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you know what tongue is? It's a distinct aspect of culture. There are things about your culture that make it into eternity. That blew my mind when I thought about that. There's a uniqueness of what ethnically makes you you that won't change in the new heaven and the new earth. And the other part of this that's incredible is that all of them are clothed 
in white, praising God according to the tongue that God gave them on this earth. Of His goodness, of His faithfulness, of His loving kindness, of His salvation as it worked into their lives. It should be a very simple thing for us to say. But we live in a day where it's not simple. To say something like, baby lives matter, shouldn't be a hard thing for us to say. But it's super political. And it's super emotional. It shouldn't be a hard thing for us to say that marriage matters. It's valuable and it's important. But it's a hard thing to say. And it definitely should not be a hard thing for us to say that we as Christians, most of all, should hate the sin of racism. And yet, feels political to say that. Somebody might label you as woke. Somebody might think that you voted for Biden if you say that. People get all bent out of shape on those kind of things. Christians from the past haven't gotten all this right. They haven't got all this right. Faithful, God-loving, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching people of my lineage, they didn't get this right. And they'll give an account before God of all of their actions. That's the that's what God says. But what do we do? That's, that's really kind of where racism lands. What's my role? How do I love differently? When Jesus gave that teaching on the sheep and the goats and the distinction of I was hungry and I was thirsty and all of those kind of things. And he says, those that were blessed by his Father because that's what they did. Paul picks up on that same idea and he says something to the effect of, do good to all people and especially the household of faith. That we're called to be good people generally but especially our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't look like us, who eat different things than we do, speak differently than we do, dress differently than we do. Ethnicity is a kingdom issue, an eternal kingdom issue. It's something that Jesus obviously cares incredibly about because he, he was speaking into a moment to a particular ethnic group of people and He said, don't love that so much that you don't see anybody outside of it. And they said, yes, sir. And they spread across the world. And it spread so far that it reached a little island where there are a group of people that worship trees. I'm pretty sure that's, that's where my people come from. Them vanilla people on the island of Britain who are praying to the ash and praying to the sycamore and throwing coins in water 
and making a wish. That's the only thing from ethnic, ethnically that I can buy. If I walk past a well, I'm going to pitch a penny in it because that's what my ancestors did, right? That's the only, that's the only thing I got. But the gospel came to them and it transformed them. The other thing I've learned about my ethnicity is that just because the gospel reached one generation doesn't mean that it reaches the next. It's got to be carried on again and again and again. What does it look like if a great awakening takes place within rural Alaska? If the peoples that live in this area madly fall in love with Jesus, become radical followers of Him, devote their whole lives to Him, do we just get to say we're done? Well, no. If Jesus tarries, you're only ever one generation away from a people group not knowing and following Jesus. You ever heard of the country of Yemen? Kind of a big country that shows up. Do you know there was one point in time in the last 2,000 years that it was 98% Christian? You know what it is now? It's about 0.5%. It was completely reached. Ethnically, completely reached. Not so today. That's why we don't judge the ethnicity. We look at the individual. We engage everybody's story. We find out what has wounds they have experienced. And we clothe the naked. We feed the hungry. We give something to drink to the thirsty. And we love people with this gospel of Jesus Christ that changed our heart and our lives and our world. It changed the way that we view the world in which we live. Regardless of what your ethnic history is, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in and changes everything. It doesn't omit it and get rid of it. You no longer cease to be what you were, but you are now fully what God intends for you to be. This is the message of hope that we engage as Christians into an ethnically diverse world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is for everyone. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the richness that is all of this. Jesus, there's so much uh, for us to try to digest in it. And God, we pray that You would help us to see, Lord, is there are there things in our own heart and lives that are jaded by what we've been taught by this world about how to view the other? That we try to do that race category where they are other than us. Forgive us of that sin, Lord, if that is true. And help us to see everyone that we encounter, regardless of their ethnic or cultural background, as being an image bearer of You, worthy of our love, and worthy of the knowledge of hearing about You. We pray, God, that You would help us as a church to be a church that loves different kinds of people and loves them uniquely according to the culture from which they come. Help us be people that are good at listening, good at understanding story, and are rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. 
Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.